0: well good morning my name is drew i'm coming at you from north of chicago this morning although i've uh, been here since last night and you know it's been a couple of weeks since we were in first kings i hope you all had a really blessed easter i hope i hope uh, as, as i listened to chad's message i was really moved by the concept of mobile forgiveness and i hope you've been able to experience that and express that to people this past week But today we are jumping back into 1 Kings as we're learning leadership lessons, particularly today in the life of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 4. Now it's possible, as we've been going through this series, that you're asking yourself a question that my wife asked me earlier this week when I was talking her through some of this stuff. She said, Drew, that all sounds really good, but what if I'm not a leader? You see, she was thinking in terms of of titles and, and position. But, you know, whether there's a title in front of your name or a title behind your name, whether you have any formal position of leadership or management or any of those things, the truth is that all of us have influence in the lives of other people. And really the secret to leadership is influence, not authority. You know, that's something that I've learned in my life from watching the example of of different people. And one of those people is my great-grandpa, A.J. Thorwall. Axel Johnson Thorwall. Now, I, I never actually got to meet him myself because he passed away when my dad was still young. But my great grandpa's become like a legend for me. You know, you got guys like Paul Bunyan and Davy Crockett and AJ Thorwall. Guys like, you know, they were real, but the stories about them, it just sounds like every minute of their lives was fascinating. And I remember hearing the stories about my great grandpa. He was actually born in Sweden. And he immigrated to the United States. So he came through Ellis Island like many people did. And when he got there, they said, okay, sir, what's your name? He says, Axel Thorvald Johansson. I was not born in Sweden. That may not be what they sound like, but that's what he said when he got here. They looked at him. They said, yeah, well, you're Axel Johnson now. Well, it didn't take him long to look down the list. and, And he said, you know, there are way too many Johnsons in this country already. So he switched his middle name and his last name, and he became Axel Johnson Thorwald So this is a man who made the journey from the other side of the world, had friends and family members die along the way but he was a strong man and he survived and he made it here and when he got here he was a new man in a new nation and he invented a new last name So if you're ever out there and you meet a Thorwald, they're related to me because he was the first one You'll meet Torvalds. you'll even find a few Thorwalds but if you meet a Thorwald They've got my great-grandpa as their ancestor. You know, there's other stories about because he was a blacksmith. And and when he came to the States, he became a preacher and an evangelist. And there's stories of how as he was speaking, as he was sharing the gospel, he would hold his blacksmith's hammer out at arm's length as an illustration of the strength and power and the might of God. And he would hold it straight out the whole time he was speaking. Now, I don't know what I did or did not inherit from him, but it's definitely not his strength. If, I don't know if I could hold the hammer out at all, let alone the whole time I was speaking. And if I tried, you can bet it would be a, a much shorter message. But, you know, for all the stories that I heard about my great-grandpa, for all the ones that seem legendary like that, you know, the one that stuck with me the most was something that my grandpa, his son, told me. Because my grandpa told me that, that while A.J. was a pastor, he spent most of his time, whether on the clock or off the clock, with other people in the community and in the church, trying to give them a special level of care. And I remember as my grandpa was talking to me about this, just thinking how, how hard that must have been when, for him when he was a boy, that, that his dad spent all his time with other people instead of with his family. But when I said that, my grandpa said, actually, it was wonderful. Because he took me with him. A- and that struck me. Because A.J. was a man who believed that God had given him work to do. Who believed that God had gifted him and that he had a mission. But he didn't say, now y'all wait over here. while I go do what God asked me to do? Instead, he said, you know what? Come with me. Be a part of this. Let me show you how this works. Do this with me. Let me teach you. And that was an amazing lesson. And I've discovered as I've gone different places in this world, people who hear the name Thorwall and say, do you know A.J.? Yeah, that was my great-grandpa. Do you know LaRue? Yeah, that was my grandpa. I realized that he brought a lot of people with him. You know, in 1 Kings chapter 4, Solomon discovered something that changes the way that we think about how we influence people. Because leaders who man up multiply leaders who man up. They bring people with them. You remember our working definition for this series of what it means to man up includes that we accept responsibility and we seek the greater reward. So for Solomon to multiply leaders who man up, what he does is he multiplies responsibility and he multiplies reward through godly influence. And that last piece is critical because everything that he's doing at this point in his life is is coming from the influence that God has in him that he is spreading to others. If you remember in 1 Kings chapter 3, when when God said to Solomon that he could ask for anything he wanted, he didn't ask for wealth, he didn't ask for power, he didn't ask to expand the kingdom, he asked for an understanding heart that he might be able to have a godly influence over the people who were under his care. And so he's going to multiply leaders who man up. And so you can turn in 1 Kings chapter 4, and right away in verse 1, one of the first acts that he does now as king it says so solomon was king over all israel and these were his officials now it's confession time because if you've got chapter four open in front of you there you kind of skim down that page what do you see names oh man names now if you're like me i i I gotta confess When I get to a place in the Bible where I just see one of these big walls of names, right? it's like, man, I don't know who these guys are. I don't know how to pronounce these names. I'll just kind of skim this. Something about leaders and and let's move on, right? Well, we don't have time to go through every name, but I want to slow down a little bit and point out a couple of things that are going on because just like Josh McDowell talked to us about a, a few weeks ago, this is real history. All right, this happened. These are real guys who are really in charge of Israel, who really experienced the influence that Solomon had in their lives. And I want to point out a few of them for you, because what Solomon's doing here is he's multiplying leaders. You see, Solomon, just a chapter ago, was given a gift by God that meant he had wisdom and knowledge that was greater than anybody else in the world. All right, so if there's one person who could probably say, if you want something done right, you better do it yourself, it's Solomon, because he knows what he's doing, right? But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He multiplies leaders. Right away in chapter 4, he's bringing on officials who are going to help him do the work that God has called him to do. So it's it's not just, me do it. That's a phrase that, that my kids use a lot. Me do it. Me do it. Try to get Obed down from his chair. Me do it. Okay, climb back up, climb back down. You know, a lot of times we hold on to things like that. But Solomon is looking to multiply responsibility, looking for people with experience, looking for ways to build bridges, to collaborate with other people who have expertise, who can help in accomplishing what God has asked them to accomplish. You know, sometimes we hold on so tightly to the things that that we feel like belong to us, right? We start a business and people tell us, well, you got to do this and you got to do this and why aren't you doing this? We say, don't tell me how to run my business. It's my business. Right? Until we run it into the ground or we get in over our heads and then all of a sudden, like, we need those experts and we want opinions and we need advice. You know, new parents do this too. I was a new parent a few years ago and, and, and I can tell you, before our first child was born, right, everybody's telling you, you got to do this and you got to do this and lay them on their back. No, lay them on their stomach And and, and we're just saying, hey, don't tell me how to raise my kids. I am their father. I will know what to do. You been there? Sounds like you've been there. It right, takes about two days, right? It's like as soon as you get home from the hospital, you realize. And now you're saying, oh my goodness, somebody tell me how to raise my kids. And from talking to parents who are further down the journey than I am, that doesn't change. Somebody tell me how to raise a teenager. Somebody tell me how to relate to my kids now that they're adults and they have kids. Right? So we need to look for people who have experience, look for ways to collaborate with other leaders. Solomon does this, and I want to point out a few of these guys in those first six verses. You see Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilu, the recorder, in verse 3. Verse 4, you see Abiathar, the priest. Verse 6, you see Adoniram, son of Abda, over the labor force. All right, three of the eleven officers, the guys that were basically his executive staff, the guys that were closest to him, functioning at the corporate headquarters. And all three of these guys, Jehoshaphat, Abiathar, and Adoniram, have something in common. All of them served under his father, David. Alright, so unlike that that, uh, general manager of a football team who as soon as he gets there, like he fires everybody, right? Solomon's looking at who is here that can continue to help us, who knows what they're doing. And he's multiplying responsibility to them. But one of these guys is not like the others because... Jehoshaphat and Adoniram served David faithfully, but Abiathar had a little bit of a different story. You may remember back in chapter 2 that Solomon's brother Adonijah challenged him for the throne, and there was a group of people within the nation who supported Adonijah against Solomon. Abiathar was one of those. At the time, he was a co-high priest, and they tried to almost start off their, their own nation against Solomon. So this is a guy that, that Solomon should be kicking out, Right? But Solomon's looking for a way to build a bridge, not just to Abiathar as a leader whose experience may be valuable, but to all of the people, right? Multiplying out from there to all the people that Abiathar represents, all the people that Abiathar can influence. So he's multiplying responsibility. You see this continue in in verse 7 of 1 Kings 4. It says, and Solomon had 12 governors. So he has 11 officials, now he has 12 governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. What you see there is a picture of how the Hebrew calendar lines up with our own. Both of our calendars have 12 months. The Hebrew calendar is a little bit different because it's a lunar calendar, but the year was divided up into 12 parts. And so he pulls 12 governors, gives them each responsibility in a certain month, for overseeing the well-being of the nation as a whole for its leaders for those officers so that they can stay focused on what they do well at corporate headquarters while these governors essentially these regional managers are kind of multiply the responsibility out to the next level and so he makes a plan for how all of these pieces fit together and so then everybody kind of has some buy-in into what's going on in the nation into the success of that organization and the way that God is at work Solomon is multiplying responsibility. He's looking for ways to bring other people with him because he realizes he can't do this alone. And so rather than saying, I'm Solomon, me do it, he says, y'all come with me, y'all help me. He has influence in the lives of others. We need to look for ways to do this. We need to look for ways to bring other people with us, even when it seems like, it. you know what, it'd be faster, it'd be easier to just do it myself. I almost missed an opportunity to do this uh, literally just last night. Uh, Last night, I was with a friend of mine who lives near here helping him with a a video game event that he was doing at his church. Uh, He and I have a video game ministry that I I can tell you more about some other time, but we were doing a big video game event, bring a ton of video games in, raise food for a a homeless shelter, and have kids come play games, have a good time. But to partly be purposeful about it, we were going to conclude the night with a gospel message, a little bit of a teaching that everybody could be a part of. So if, if folks are bringing friends who don't know Christ, they have an opportunity to meet him. Now my buddy and I both speak in front of groups all the time. He's a youth pastor at his church, and I'm an associate pastor at my church, and so we're used to this. And so one of us should do the gospel, right? Well, he comes to me and he says, "Hey, I've got a, I've got one of the, the sophomores in high school. He's going to do the talk that night." I was thinking, man, I mean that that's cool, but you know this is a, this is a big event. We're hoping to get a lot of people here. Probably one of us should just do it. Well. Fortunately for all of us, uh, my buddy kind of overrid me on that one. He said, no, I think he can handle it. He'll be ready. And so f- sitting at this event last night, when, the, when this student got up to deliver this message, it blew me away. It blew me away. I couldn't believe the level of preparation that he put into it, the creativity that he put into it, and the way that the kids responded to him because he's one of them. It, it, was, it was absolutely perfect. You see, my buddy was multiplying responsibility. Yeah, we could do it. Yeah, it took more time to help this guy get ready to do it, but he multiplied that responsibility, and and really we saw that multiply the reward. I was thinking about this as I was driving here this morning, and this is kind of crazy, and I promise you this is true. The kid's name that delivered that message last night is Solomon. How weird is that? I don't know if that means anything, but it struck me, and so I thought I would share that with you this morning. But what an opportunity to see God's influence multiplied. Because my buddy was faithful to say, you know what, there are others that we can bring with us. Just like A.J. brought my grandpa. So in order to multiply leaders who man up, we have to be willing to multiply that responsibility. Solomon's doing that. And as you look at verses 7 through 13, you see then this list of governors. The, n- the names really begin in verse 8. It's guys like Ben-Hur. Not that Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur in the mountains of Ephraim. ben Decker in Makaz, Shalban, Beth Shemesh, and Elah Beth Hanan. All right, essentially the list that you get here is this guy in this place, this guy in this place, this guy in this place, except there's one of these places that we get a little bit of extra information about. At the bottom of that slide, you see verse 13 where it says, ben Giber in Ramoth-Gilead, to him belong the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh in Gilead, to him also belong the region of Argob in Bashan. Remember Bashan. A place that had 60 large cities with walls and bronze gate bars. A seriously fortified place. Now turn over to verse 14. As this list continues, we get this guy in this place and this guy in this place. Until you drift down to verse 19. And here we see Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. And he was the only governor who was in the land. So for this wall of names and places, you see how Solomon's influence is not just over the people that are closest to him at corporate headquarters, but it's expanded over the whole nation. The dots in this map represent the locations that these 12 governors oversee as they feed in to what God is doing in their country. But there's one place, Bashan, that we get more details about. It tells us how big and how strong it is. And this is a place that used to be enemy territory. Not only that, but we hear about Bashan's king, Og. Now, Og was a big and strong dude. And he used to be the enemy. In fact, Og was a giant. Now, Solomon's family knows a little bit about giants, don't they? All right, this is how David got famous. He killed a giant. He killed Goliath. Now, I want to give you a picture here of what it would look like if I was standing next to Goliath. Goliath, we estimate, is somewhere between 9 and 10 feet tall. I'm somewhere between 6 and one. <laughs> Just an estimate. All right, so this is what it would look like if I was standing next to Goliath. Goliath was serious business. All right, but this is what it would look like if Solomon was standing next to Og. And so, of course, his name is Og. This is a big dude. All right. Og, it tells us in Deuteronomy 3.11 that his coffin was nine cubits long, which would be about 13 feet. Now, if we estimate that he's about a foot shorter than his coffin so that they could fit him in there, Og is somewhere in the range of 12 feet tall. Now, Chad and I are about the same height, so this would be like if Chad was standing on my shoulders right now. Then we'd, then we'd just about be able to look Og in the eye. All right, Og was a serious enemy. Now, now why do we get this detail here? You see, the writer of 1 Kings chapter 4 wants us to realize that this is what God can do. God's strength is greater. God's power is greater. Land that used to be defended by a guy 12 feet tall. Can you imagine walking up to him? And not only that, but this place used to have 60 fortified cities with bronze gates. But God is greater. God is greater. Is greater. This is what God can do through leaders who are willing to man up. Now, Og lived years before Solomon did. And so this gives us a picture of how God had been preparing, how God's plan continued, and how Solomon steps into that plan, how each of us can step in to God's plan. Because Solomon does this, You see in verse 20 that Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude. That's a lot of sand. Eating and drinking and rejoicing. And you see how Solomon's influence expands. That picture of of where all those governors had charge has shrunk to this little white shape. And now we see in verses 21 and 24 on this same slide that Solomon reigned over all kingdoms From the river, which is the orange dot up at the top of the map, to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt in the lower left corner. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life, for he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, from Tifshah even to Gaza. Namely, over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on every side all around him. Solomon's influence has multiplied from the leaders that were closest to him, out to their entire nation, now out to this entire region. And the people are like the sand on the sea. And as things are going well, we see that not only is responsibility multiplied, right? more people have a, have a say and, and a take in what happens, but because of that, the reward is multiplied. Look at verse 25. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely. Each man under his vine and his fig tree. So between twenty and twenty five we get this picture that, that the people of God are growing. Their numbers are growing. They're like the sand on the seashore, and not only that, but they're safe. There's peace. They live and they sit under their vines and their fig trees. Alright, so so things are going well. We're in the black. Alright, we got fruit, you know, the crops are growing and everybody's at peace. It says that from Dan, as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots, 12,000 horsemen. These governors, each man in his month, provided food for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, and there was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steeds, each man according to his charge. Because Solomon multiplied responsibility He multiplied reward, not just for himself, but for all of the people. So for those of us who have influence in the lives of others, and and that's all of us, you know, whether that's your employees or your kids or friendships, all of us have the ability by what we say and what we do to impact the way that others make decisions, the way that others make their lives. And so when we influence people, we need to be ready. We need to be willing to share responsibility so that we can share the reward. You know, this happens naturally sometimes, right? When, when a little kid comes and says, I want a puppy. How many parents do you know who say, okay, you can have a puppy, but I'm the parent, so I'm going to be responsible for it. Come on. Okay, you can have a puppy, but you're going to take it for walks. You're going to train it to go outside. You're going to give it baths, right? If you share in the responsibility, you can share in the reward that comes with it. Or maybe that kid gets a little bit older, they want to drive the car. All right? Well, then you're going to put some gas in the car. And you can pay a portion of, of your car insurance. You share in the responsibility. You can share in the reward that comes with it. Multiplying responsibility and multiplying reward. You know, how do we do this with, with employees? Right. Because employees have a big buy-in on the success of the company. We need their help, right? We all have to work together or the whole thing goes nowhere. So is, if, the com- if the company does well, is that reflected for the employees? Do they experience that in their benefits? in their bonuses, or maybe ways that aren't financial, with a personal thank you, or a well-written letter of recommendation. You see, all of these things begin to to hint at the greater reward that leaders who man up are seeking. You know, the kind of thing that I saw when Solomon gave his talk at that video game event, that God's reward had been multiplied, and that, that it's not just what we see in the here and now. For Solomon, it's not just the size of his kingdom, or the wealth, or the number of horses All of these things are symbols of his faithfulness to God and God's faithfulness to him, but they're given to him so that he might use them to have greater godly influence. And the writer of 1 Kings wants us to see that Solomon is, is bringing in the greater reward because of the influence of God in his life. And so you see in Genesis 22, verse 17, that what we just saw in verse 20 about the sand by the sea is actually coming from earlier in the Old Testament. Genesis 22, God is making a promise to Abraham about his plan for his people. And it says there, Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Have we seen that in 1 Kings 4? The people are multiplied like the sand, on the, just as God promised. And remember those big bronze gates in the 60 cities of Bashan? They've possessed the gates of their enemies. We see that God's promises are coming true. God's faithfulness is happening. Not only that, but verse 25 that we read a moment ago, it's ripped straight from Micah chapter 4, verse 4. A prophecy that was written after the time of Solomon, but as the historian is writing First Kings, he has this in the back of his mind, and this is what it says. Everyone shall sit under his vine and his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Now, when Micah wrote, he was writing a prophecy that looked forward to a time when we would experience the kingdom of God, when we lived under the leadership of somebody who leads with godly influence, and that would be the person of Jesus Christ. And so you see how Solomon's kingdom becomes like a picture of the kingdom of God, of what happens when leaders are willing to follow, to man up and follow in God's will. And so the people have great reward and they experience the peace and they can sit under their vine and sit under their fig tree because Solomon had godly influence. Look at verse 29. This is how Solomon did it. It says that God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Isn't that cool? The people became like the sand on the seashore, so God gave him a heart like the sand on the seashore. To match the need. That's exactly what he asked for in 1 Kings 3 verse 9. When God told him he could ask for anything, he asked for that understanding heart. He asked for God's influence in himself so that he might be able to influence others. See, we've got to realize we are a constant influence on the people around us. You are a constant influence on the people around you. And people learn from us by what they see us do. Don't they? Right? Our employees, they, they watch us and they see what we do, and if I tell them, Hey guys, we all gotta work really hard, we gotta make it this quarter. And then I take off four days a week, and even on the days I'm there I come in late and I leave early, then people look at that and say, Well, I guess we don't have to work that hard, right? You know, kids are an awesome example of this, or, or sometimes a frustrating one, because kids do what you do, not what you say, right? I, I experienced this week about three times in a span of maybe ten minutes. I'm watching the Bulls game, diehard Chicago Bulls fan, and and, uh, and we're down 0-2, but we won that game, and so things were going well, and so somebody puts a shot in, and I go, yes! And, and just like that, my, my three oldest kids, it's like all of a sudden there's a train through our living room. Go Bulls! Go Bulls! Go Bulls! I'm saying, man, they got that from their daddy. <laughs> I've had an influence on these kids. This is wonderful, but not two minutes later, my, my boy Axel, uh, you can guess where he got his name, right? My boy Axel steals Belle's princess crown. Now, we'll have to deal with that issue at a later time. But Belle's response was, You may not take my crown! Okay, now, that is not how we talk in the Thorwall House. And so, I'm watching the game, it's intense, and I'm focused, and this is distracting me, and I look over and I say, Belle, no yelling! Oh, oh man. What am I doing? She got that from her daddy. Right She's seen me react this way to things that frustrate me, and I just did it again. You know, but it's not five more minutes later, and I'm still watching the game, and, and, and now Simeon is here too. He's our littlest one. In fact, it would take probably eight or nine Simeons to reach up to Og, but Simeon crawls over and pulls Bell's hair. And Bell looks at him and says, "Don't worry, Simeon. I forgive you. And Jesus can forgive you too. She got that from her mother. (laughs) But you see how you're a constant influence because people are watching us. You know, people learn from us. We have an impact on the lives of people around us. And so if we want to multiply godly influence, then we need to be influenced by God. How do we do that? We spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer. Time in his word by yourself, reading the book, absorbing it, not skimming the list of names, but maybe getting a commentary or doing some Googling and finding out who these guys are. You know, time in the word, maybe if you're a part of a small group at Horizon, which I would definitely recommend, to study with other people, or even what we're doing right here today. Time that we take out of the rest of our schedule to stop and say, God, what do you have for me to learn? What can I use? What can I take from this? And then time in prayer, asking just as we prayed this, just as we sang this morning, that all of us would belong to Him and that He would use all of it. Whatever gifts, whatever affluence, you know, whatever the the financial blessing or, or if we have a lack, that whatever we have, that as it comes from God, we would turn it back towards doing His work. Solomon was able to do this at this point in his life. Unfortunately, later in his life, he let other influences join the godly influence. He let other things distract him and other influences lead him down other paths. But in this moment, Solomon is being influenced by God, and so he's able to multiply godly influence. Verse 30 shows kind of the, the, the way that this reaches its full extent, because Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite and Hermon, Chalkol and Darda, the sons of Mahol. I know there's more names. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. You see, he's multiplied his godly influence because he multiplied responsibility, multiplied reward, not only to his executives, not only to the people closest to him, not only to his regional managers, not only to the population of his nation, not only to his region, but to the world. And the guys you see listed here are world-renowned scholars. They are known in antiquity for how brilliant they were, for their protection of knowledge and Solomon outpaced them all because of the gift that God had given him. It says he spoke 3,000 Proverbs, some of which we have in the book of Proverbs. His songs were 1,005. Unfortunately, we only have a few of those. But the author puts that there to make sure that we understand that he's not just leading business. Because if you read his Proverbs, if you read his songs, you see the influence of God come through. Then, in the way he organized the country, in the way he spoke to fathers and parents about how they lead their kids, It was to lead them back to God. Verse 33 says, He also spoke of trees from the cedar of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. This is Solomon, the Renaissance man. Now, when it tells you about the the cedar, that great big tree, and the hyssop, this this is Solomon's wisdom from the big to the small. Not only the great things, but the details as well. It's a sign of the breadth and the depth of the gift and the faithfulness of God because the cedar was the biggest plant that they would know. It can grow to be 130 feet tall. It's used all over the Bible as a symbol of, of strength, of majesty, of size. In fact, there's one place where Og, king of Bashan, is called the Amorite, who is as tall as a cedar. And even in a couple chapters, we'll see that the cedars of Lebanon are used to build the temple. But not only that, but he also knows about the hyssop. Basically, this tiny moss that grows out of the cracks of walls. The breadth and the depth of the gift and the faithfulness of God. And so verse 34 wraps up this chapter by saying that men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, your influence may not spread to the entire world, but it might. But we have to realize that as we influence other people, we influence not only those close to us, but we influence the people that they influence. And if we want to multiply leaders who man up, we have to be ready. We have to be willing to multiply responsibility and multiply reward through godly influence. So what kind of influence will you multiply? You know, what kind of influence will you multiply at work when there is a crisis, when we're in the red, when something goes wrong or not according to plan and people see how you react? Because you know what? We're not perfect. And we won't get it right every time. And parents, we know that too. You know, We have moments where we think we've taught our kids what we want them to do and, and they get it right and we get it wrong. And how do we handle those moments? What kind of influence will we demonstrate? Will we see how God is at work drawing us closer to himself and through us drawing others closer to himself? With our friends and our relationships, when the people around us are fully embracing a path of destruction in the world, what kind of an influence will we be? What ways will we speak God's truth, as Solomon did, about the cedar and the hyssop to draw people closer to who God is, to lead them to an opportunity for a relationship with him? What kind of influence will we have and will it be because of God's influence in us? I pray that for myself, and, and I pray that for all of you, that we would experience godly influence so that we can multiply godly influence. Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, in all of your glory, you see fit to bless us in, in different ways, in many ways. And Lord, that you gift us. And Lord, you put us in the situations that we are in. And Lord, we look at all of that and realize that we are to be stewards for you. And so, God, I pray as we have sang and Lord, as we have studied this morning, that you would take everything that we are and that you would use it for your kingdom, that you would use it for you to bring you glory. God, that as we look at those around us who we influence, that we might influence them for you. We ask these things in the holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to thank you all for being here this morning. I would love to hear stories if you have been thinking of ways that you influence the people around you for God. And so I'll hang around a little bit after the service. Also, if you've just got questions about Horizon, if it's your first time here and you'd like to meet somebody, you can head out the hallway and in the third door on the left, which is the hearth room, and somebody would love to meet with you there. Thank you all for coming. Have a great morning.